this is going to sound like picking on one player, and that's absolutely not my intent. It's more picking on one GM in this context for not really recognizing his own need at a specific position. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or baseball, I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates in the same place that you found this. The Penguins are out in the desert facing the Coyotes in Tempe, Arizona. That's a 9.08 p.m. Eastern Time face-off at Minuscule Mullet Arena, which really ought to be named in Gary Bettman's honor. Like the whole franchise, they should just be the Arizona Garys. You know what I mean? Nobody, nobody, nobody wants this team there except for Gary. As it is, nobody wants to see the kind of hockey that the Penguins put together in the third period a couple of nights ago in Las Vegas. Really just an embarrassment. Only the sixth time in franchise history that the Penguins entered a third period with a two-goal lead and lost in regulation. It's not easy to blow it as badly as they did. But then, this is not a new issue. And the team's inherent inability to defend without extraordinary effort is not a new issue. And what I mean by that is, and I brought this up on last week's shows, but I never presume that everybody hits every one of them. If you have a team with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang and Eric Carlson and whatever else here, you know the kind of roster that you've got. And you know the kind of personnel you still need to compensate, but that goes double when the only way that that team can contend for a championship, and that's even that's just presuming a whole lot just to say that, is to first and foremost defend. So what you have is a group of people who really would rather not defend, understand that they have to, and will go about it at certain times when they're in the mood. And what you don't have is enough balance on your roster, certainly not on your defensive core, to make up for that. And now that I've set the stage for it, finally, what is everyone waiting to see out of P.O. Joseph? Wonderful kid. Brings me no joy whatsoever to single him out. But he's one of those players who... You might have liked as a prospect because you saw something in his mobility. You saw something, maybe hoping that if he ate a few cheeseburgers, he'd have some bulk to go with that height. And you saw the smarts and you saw the character. And it it's not adding up into an NHL defenseman who makes very much sense in either mind frame. Because he's not looking like he's going to be a good offensive defenseman. He's not looking like he's going to be a good defensive defenseman. So what is he? And what's he doing here? Yes, I know John Ludwig's injured, and I know Ludwig would be playing. But last I checked, these games count too. And unlike a lot of potential moves that Kyle Dubas could make right now, this one really comes with no cap casualty. 
P.O.'s a bottom-shelf guy when it comes to salary. So is whoever you'd get to try to replace him. And you could have your choice. There are people on the waiver wire every day. I see the names. You see the names. A lot of them are better than P.O. at ice hockey. They just are. And especially when it comes to defending. Now, I'm not deflecting here. That two-goal lead was blown with Marcus Pedersen, who's been the team's most consistent defenseman all season, on the ice for all of those goals. I don't think Marcus was great. I also don't think he was anywhere near that bad. I thought if Genny Malkin had more to blame on two of those goals than anything involving Pedersen. So I'm not making this point super specific to what happened in Las Vegas. I'm making it in the much broader sense that this team still does blow leads. And that's in large part because these coaches, and in this case, I'm making it plural because it's Mike Sullivan making the roster decisions, but it's Todd Reardon deciding who goes over the boards. Who's he got? Who's he sending out there to protect a lead? He's going to send Chad Ruedel and P.O. Because you can't just bring yourself down to four defensemen so early in a third period. You also can't, by and large, trust your fourth line to do any sort of exceptional defending. And the third line, there just aren't enough players to fit this. There isn't a third scoring line. You don't get that much scoring out of those guys. And it's not as if the fourth line has shown itself to be superior defensively. They've been okay at times. They don't go out there and shut it down. They don't go out there and execute some 45-second forecheck that really eats up the clock. They just don't do that. And this is something I've been harping on for, well, really it predates Dubas, but that wouldn't be fair to attach to him in any way. Dubas had the opportunity over this past summer to put together, and in fact, this was openly talked about by both Dubas and Sullivan, and still never materialized, that there would be two obvious scoring lines, and there would be two lines that would just shut things down. I'm talking about up front now. Didn't really happen. Every guy that came in, even when they were introduced, they talked about, oh, so-and-so, he had, you know, Matt Nieto had double-digit goals in X number of seasons. Matt Nieto showed nothing while he was healthy. Noel Achari was supposed to be the Brandon Tanev who came in, and he was the wrecker, and he was going to skate around and make things happen and kind of replace not so much Tanev as much as Jason Zucker, you know, not not expecting that level of skill. But he's not done that. He's got some stones to him. You can see that, the shot blocking and so forth, but I don't see a general impact, and I certainly don't see defensive excellence. The only one who was acquired who fits that bill is Lars Eller. That's it. And on the blue line, it's nobody. If you watched Ryan Graves at any point in his career, including when he was on the first pairing in New Jersey last season, it would never have crossed your mind that you'd be acquiring him for defensive purposes. And we now see why. And from there, nothing, nothing happened. There was nothing put together for the third defensive pairing because I guess it was just presumed that, well, we're going to have to cobble this together from what's in Wilkesbury, um, that's not good enough. Those are minimum wage or close to minimum wage NHL players. 
They are fringe NHL players. They can be and arguably should be replaced by people who bring you what you need. When we come back, J1Q. comes from Greg who says, DK, is there any specific time in which we can talk about Tristan Jari not being an elite goaltender in the NHL? Sure. We can talk about that at any point. We can talk about it right now. I'm a little bit leery of talking about it right after what happened in Las Vegas. I think there are a couple of goals that were stoppable. And I think in particular, the longer range wrister from Brandon Brisson was something that he should have had. But I, I see from Jari on a consistent basis, but only in patches, this elite goaltending thing. And it's part of what drives everybody, including, believe me on this, the coaching staff, nuts. Because they see that he can do it. They see that when he's locked in, uh, in particular when he's facing another goaltender who's got the kind of reputation that you're describing, whether it's Connor Hellebuck, Andre Vasilevsky, goaltenders of that caliber, of that reputation, he'll rise up. He wants to show that he's them. But if it's just another game against just another guy, His team played really, really well in front of him for two periods, did a lot of the stuff that I was just complaining about in the opening segment that they don't do nearly often enough. And then you come out and even if it's just one bad goal, you can't do it. Can't do it. He wasn't asked to do a whole lot in those first two periods. But you could tell as soon as the Zamboni was done from the second intermission that the Golden Knights were going to Start doing their thing, which is to come at you in waves, show off their depth. They've got skill. They love to go to the net, and they're not shy about shooting the puck. They did all those things, and they converted. First couple, again, not the kind that you would look to the goalie for. Third one, can't go in. Can't go in. That kid never scored a goal in his life before. He's not picking any corner. And on top of that, you got to come out and cut down that angle. You don't show him all the net that was shown. So, yes, there's a clear tier of who the elite goaltenders are on this planet. Jari, just as clearly, is not among them. He has the occasional flash that looks like he could fit in, and if you were coming up with some sort of montage of highlight saves, I'll bet he'd fit in very comfortably with any of them. But, as that noted philosopher Tom Barrasso once spoke, it's not the saves you make, it's the goals you give up. That's how you get evaluated as a goaltender, and that's how you should be evaluated as a goaltender. Great quote, really. The guy was full of great quotes on those rare moments where he'd come down from Mount Barrasso and speak with us. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We're going to do another one of these tomorrow. 